it's that exact hope that in just a couple of weeks that we're going to be celebrating together on Easter morning. And so, uh, reminder, we have our Good Friday services at 1210 and 610. Hopefully you can find a slot in one of those to be able to be with us. But on Easter, it's our normal service times, but don't forget we did add a 5 p.m. on Saturday service if, if that helps and you can take advantage of that. We are asking that you would register for one of these services only because we want to make sure we have plenty of space and enough room for all of the guests that tend to come on that weekend and we want to make them feel welcome and make sure that we can we can have a spot for them to sit. So if you can let us know when you're coming, that would be very helpful. Also on your way in, you receive this, this sheet that says attend one, serve one, because we're asking that not only would you come to a service and be a part of it, but that you would also help us to serve at one of the services. Uh, all hands on deck that weekend. We, we want you to be a part of, of, of not just being in the service, but of, of serving others that are here. So help us with that too, if you would. We are grateful for it. You know, as we start today, I was thinking about across our country, all of our, all of our states have these laws. They're, they're they're a little on the obscure side. They're a little on the, uh, I think, a little bit crazy side of laws. For instance, did you know that up until 2015, there was a law in the state of Minnesota limiting nursing homes to playing bingo to just two days a week? Just two days or you're in trouble. Um, or what about this one? In the state of Louisiana, it is illegal for one or more persons to engage with a bear for the purpose of fighting. This is a real law. I don't know who did what to make this law have to be put into place, but I'm thinking they're having a good time down in Louisiana. How about this one? In the state of Washington, the slaying of Bigfoot is a felony and punishable by five years in prison. I am not making this up. These are real laws on the books and I love this one because if it does nothing else, it confirms all of my conspiracy theories that Bigfoot is real. And if you're going hunting in Washington, make sure you don't accidentally shoot him because you'll get in big trouble. You know, these sound ridiculous to us. I, I mean, we can laugh at them, but, but I, I tell you what, what do we do with those same obscure, crazy laws that we find in the Old Testament of our Bibles. Because some of them are, are equally as strange. Like, how about this one? This one's found in the book of Leviticus. It says, but you must never eat animals from the sea or from rivers that do not have both fins and scales. They are detestable to you. This applies to both little creatures that live in shallow water and to all creatures that live in deep water. That means no shrimp, no lobster. Hope you don't like seafood, cancel your lunch plans, because that would be illegal. Or, or what about this one found in Deuteronomy? And, and, and I imagine that every single one of us in this room is breaking this law today. You ready? You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. Did you check the tag on your shirt this morning? Because if you've got a cotton polyester blend something... You're in trouble. 
I mean, that, that is what this is saying. And, and I know that these kind of sound funny and they're humorous when we talk about them. But to be honest with you, these, these trouble my heart. They trouble my heart because these laws are often stumbling blocks for Christ followers. And they're often stumbling blocks for those who are not Christ followers. You know those people outside our church walls they look at these kind of things and they point to the Bible and say that is irrelevant, it is pointless, it is ridiculous, and the Bible can't be trusted. That's what they say. And that, that turns people away from following Jesus. And that breaks my heart. So what are we supposed to do with these? I mean, they're in the Bible. I mean, we have to obey them? And, and if not then how do we know which ones to, to throw away and which ones to keep? How can we tell the difference? Well, that's exactly why we're in this series this morning called Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're going to answer this morning three questions when it comes to how Christ followers ought to understand these laws in the Old Testament. The three questions I want to look at today are, what is God's intended purpose for the law? What does Jesus say about the law? And are we required to follow the law? Now, I hope you'll stick with me here for a minute as we, as we travel into some deep weeds. Because in order to sense, make sense of this law, we need to begin by asking this first question. What was God's intended purpose for the law? You know, oftentimes we look at laws or commands, or rules, or boundaries, or whatever it is you want to call them. We look at these as things that, that restrict us, that control us, that, that hold us back from, from having fun. They eliminate our freedoms. It's the whole reason that we say rules are meant to be yes. And I am a professional. I am a second child. I never in my life have liked being told what to do. To this day, I don't like people telling me what to do. It, it, it's, a, it's a bad thing I got in me. I don't like rules. But what if, what if it's actually the exact opposite of what rules and laws were intended for? For just a minute, may, maybe we could just switch the perspective for a second. Because what if laws are made to protect us, to give us order so that we don't hurt ourselves or hurt others or hurt bears, apparently. What, what if they're there to protect us? In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, this was written, Before the way of faith in Christ was availed to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith is revealed. It's the reason we have stoplights. Right? I mean, stoplights aren't there to upset you. They're not there to inconvenience you. They're not there to hold you up. Stoplights are there to, to provide some order, to provide some safety, to keep others and us from crashing into each other. They serve a purpose to protect us. It's the reason why we have house rules. The Conrad house rules are in place because I love my kids. Parents, you know this. It's, it's, it's the whole reason we give our kids boundaries to follow. Don't touch the stove. Don't play in the street. 
don't eat Tide Pods for crying out loud. We, we tell our kids these things because we know they're for, they're good. And we love them. We're not trying to be killjoys. We're trying to protect them. That's what parents do. But if laws are there to protect us, it's a little bit different of a perspective. And, and let me take it a step further. What if laws aren't just there to protect us, but what if they also have the power to reveal in our hearts when we're a little off? I mean, this is what Paul writes in Galatians. He says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. Paul, Paul says these laws were given to reveal what was in our hearts. They serve to highlight areas in our life when we're being selfish, areas when we're being unloving, areas when we're being prideful. Those things get drawn out in our hearts. And ultimately, it's to point us to our need for a Savior. Israel was God's chosen people. They were to look different. They were to act different. They were to be set apart. It was to point to the need of a Savior. With that said, I think some of these laws we can accept because they make sense to us. But, but some of these laws, they, they're a little bit harder to grasp, especially in our culture. They don't make sense. And so instead of looking at all 613 Old Testament laws and divvying them up, which ones make sense and which ones don't, instead of doing that, I want to divide them into three categories this morning. So let me, let, let's look at these together. The first category are civil laws. These are the group of laws that, that were intended to govern the life of ancient Israel. These are the laws that culturally would have made sense to the people of that time. It helped them to live at peace with one another. Let me show you one of their civil laws, only because I get a kick out of it, and I, you might too. It's found in Exodus. So suppose someone digs or uncovers a pit and fails to cover it, and then an ox or a donkey falls into it, because that happens all the time. The owner of the pit must pay full compensation to the owner of the animal, but good news, he gets to keep it. So that, that's nice. These, are, these were civil laws, don't make much sense to us today. But to the people of this time, this would have made perfectly good sense. It was to help the people live at peace with one another. These were civil laws. Well, then there's a second category of laws. These are called the ceremonial laws. Laws that described how Israelites are to worship God. Now, now these ones, this is where we have a harder time with these. And for good reason, and I'll explain in a little bit. But these were ones that, that included like dietary restriction laws or, or, or clothing laws or, or how we worship and, and, and what methods we should worship with. The, these were a little trickier for us today to understand. These are ceremonial Laws. We're going to look a little bit more at those in a minute. But the last category this morning are moral laws. These are laws that, that were instructed to instruct Israelite how to love God and to love people. Many of these moral laws are present in what you and I know of as, as the Ten Commandments. Like in Exodus where it says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not murder. You must not steal. You know those. Those are the essence of the moral laws. And these were present to give Israelites instruction on the best way to live and how to love God and love people. These were the moral laws. 
these three categories were, were there to offer perspective and give the Israelites a picture of how to relate to God and how to function in relationships with each other. Now, I, I know that was a lot to take in, and I kind of dumped a whole barrel of stuff on you, so hopefully you're still with me, because now is when we get to the good stuff. Then we've got to go into question number two this morning. What does Jesus have to say about this? Because I go with this guy. What Jesus says, that's what I go with. And so what does he say about this law? Well, in the middle of a famous message that he preached called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he, he addresses his stance firmly on the law. This is what Jesus said. He said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, you may have heard that when Jesus died on the cross, the law died with him. That because we follow Jesus now, we are not under the law anymore, and thus we don't have to follow it. But yet, I wrestle with that because Jesus, in verse 17, he paints a little bit different of a picture, doesn't he? He literally says that he has not come to abolish the law because if he would have abolished it in so doing, he would have completely invalidated the Bible. He doesn't invalidate it. So, uh, I don't know, I'm confused. What's the deal? Uh, if, if Jesus isn't getting rid of the law, then what is he doing? This is, this is the good news today. Jesus doesn't get rid of the law. He does something far, far greater. He doesn't abolish it. He does something far, far greater. Listen to these verse 17 and 18 again. It says, for he, he says, I came to accomplish their purpose. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. What's absolutely beautiful about this law has always, has always been pointing to its completion through the future Messiah. That God's intention has always been for Jesus to be the ultimate fulfillment of the law's intended purposes. He didn't get rid of them. He completed them. He finished them. He accomplished them. Finished. Done. This is great news. So when Jesus accomplishes and he fulfills the law to completion, that means two life-changing things for you and I today. Life-changing. The first life-changing thing is that Jesus fulfilled the old way. He fulfilled it. And in fact, the author of Hebrews explains this perfectly. And he says the old system under the law of Moses is only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. What he is saying here is, you know what, if you're outside on a beautiful sunny day, 
and you're enjoying nature and you want to go out and you say to yourselves, you know what, I can't wait to just see shadows. I can't wait to see the shadows of the trees and the birds and the flowers. No, that is not it. When you see a shadow, it is a preview. It points you back to the real thing of beauty. So it is with Jesus and the law. The law was simply a shadow of the real thing to come. Jesus. You know what that means? That means no more food or dietary restrictions. Why? Because Jesus made everything clean in himself. That means no more animal sacrifices for sin because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. That means that there's no more temple purification laws because you know what? That curtain was ripped in half. And now we can come to Jesus at any time, in any way. You know what this makes me say is, thank you, Lord. Jesus' death on the cross signifies once and for all that the law's purpose is accomplished. It's done. But he doesn't just walk away. From there. He doesn't just complete it and walk away. No, no, he, he takes it a step further. And this is the second thing for us that's such good news, and that is that Jesus establishes with us a new way. Uh, do you remember for years, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, on the way to Sandusky, there was a billboard with this verse on it. It came from John 14. It said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus established a new way, and it was him. And right before Jesus died, he, he, he takes his guys and they celebrate communion together. And they come together and he establishes with them this new way, or he calls a new covenant between Jesus and his people, between Jesus and us. And this is what he, he does. After supper, he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus fulfilled the old way to God through his own, through his own grace-filled, unconditionally loving sacrifice. And then he established a new way to God through himself with no strings attached. It was no longer what I could do. It became all about what he had done. It's incredible, which I respond once again. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, Lord. And this, this leads me then to our third question. The question everyone always wants to know. So, then are we required to follow the law? Well, let me um, answer this simply. No. And yes, let me explain. I say no because as Christ followers, we are no longer under the civil and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. These were a shadow, a preview of the Messiah to come who, who would fulfill these laws. They would accomplish their purpose forever. We now have a relationship with Jesus that is established through his grace. And I'm so glad. But this doesn't mean that we just skip over 
the Old Testament laws because they don't apply to us. No, I would, instead I would encourage this. Professor Dr. Whitmer, he poses this question to us when, when we're looking at these Old Testament laws, and he says, we should ask, what does this command tell me about God, and how does it teach me to love others? We can still learn from them. So when we read about God commanding his people not to eat seafood or, or to pay for an animal that fell into a pit or to not wear clothes of mixed fibers, we don't just ignore those commands. Rather, we ask this question of them. Okay, Lord, what does this command tell me about you? And how does it teach me to love others? I wish we could go further into that this morning. So I say no. You're no longer obligated to follow the law, but yes, yes you are. Let me explain. The Christ-following apostle Paul, he was writing to the Corinthian church, and he wrote this to him. He said, you know what, I am not under the law anymore, but, but, he said, I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? Well, it's the essence of the moral law, which we are still under. Jesus' summary of all 613 Old Testament laws found in our Bibles, Jesus summed them all down. He said, I'm going to take all that stuff and I'm going to combine them down to just two. I'm going to give you these two. And this is what he said. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, the first this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And we are to follow this law to a T. This is what we obey. And I want to keep it real for just a minute as we close. All 613 Old Testament laws condensed down into two, and guess what? It's still hard. I, I still don't always understand. I still struggle. I still am uncomfortable. I still want to fight them. And, and, and I tell you what, if these two commands were being given by some random uh, insignificant, untrusting, selfish guy or person or God, then they're not worth the time. I would fight against these with all my might because I don't want to do it. But that's not the case, and here's the good news. These rules are not being given by a selfish, random, untrusting God. These rules are getting, getting, being given by Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Savior of the world who loves us, loves us to the point of taking this law fully on his shoulders, and because he knew that we would never be able to keep it for ourselves, he then went to the cross carrying all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of our failures he carried took them to the cross, and was crucified. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Jesus drew his final breath, and you know what he said? It's finished. It's done. It's completed. It's accomplished. He said it's finished. This is why we follow this law. 
not, not because I have to, but because Jesus loves me so much. And I love him too. And when we fail, we allow God and his grace to pick us up, dust us off, and we do it again and again because Jesus' death frees us from this insignificant life of living for ourselves and instead we find fulfillment in his commands to love God and to love people. This is a law worth following. So I close and I ask you this. What does this mean for you? What, would you want your kids to follow this law? To love God and love people? Would you want that of your kids? Would you, what, what would it look like in your life if, if your family, if your husband, if your wife followed this law to love God and to love people? Would that be a good thing? What about your, your, your friends or your coworkers and all those around you? Would it be a good thing if they followed this law to love God and to love people? How might your life and your circumstances look different if that was the case? What about this one? What would it look like if you followed this law? To love God and to love people. This law is worth following because the one who gave it to us is worth following. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you for for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, because you knew we couldn't keep these. Lord, I thank you for your blood that covers that, the once perfect sacrifice for all. Lord, help us to love you and to love people better. Or we try, or we fail, I thank you for your grace that covers that when we do. But Lord, we, that is our desire. So Lord, in everything we say, everything we do, May that be at the forefront of our lives to love you and to love others. Help us this day, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, we have some greeters.